0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com and your familiar pilot for this program. This is going to be a recruiting-heavy podcast. I mean, there's a lot to talk about in USC land. Uh, It's been a pretty news-making couple weeks over on campus. I'll touch on that quickly at the top, but I really want to keep the focus on recruiting because we had a great segment with Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney we want to give his insight and expertise and and his pulse on where things stand with a bunch of USC's top targets, many of whom were on campus this weekend for the massive, massive, massive visitor weekend. 24 official visitors. A handful of those were, were commits. You know, your Malachi Nelson, the Makai Lemon, and Zachariah Branch, and Quentin Joyner, et cetera, et cetera. But many more were the uncommitted top targets, the guys that have basically – the staff's put six months into their recruitment and building relationships and, and positioning and getting in a spot where they feel they have a real chance with them. And this this past weekend, this weekend was massive. You're talking five-star linebacker Anthony Hill, four-star offensive tackle Francis Maui Goa, their top O-line target. Uh, two four-star tight ends, Deuce Robinson and Walker Lyons. Four-star Edge Mateo Uyangalale. The local St. John Bosco standout. Four star receiver Jalen Hale. Those are all rivals' top 100 prospects, as is Braylon Shelby, the four star outside linebacker. And on and on and on. Edric Hill, the defensive tackle from Kansas City, is a really intriguing prospect. It was a massive, massive recruiting weekend. And we are going all in on our post coverage on Trojansports.com as I'm on the road to Texas as we speak to track down as many of these uh, visitors and and get great stories and and in-depth reaction for you guys as possible. It's a good time to mention that we have a great promo going. I pushed for this, I told Rivals, I said we have a lot going on this month. It's a massive recruiting month. Uh, We're gonna do some great things on the site. Give me a promo to try and, uh, to to throw out there for, for, for new subscribers. And they did. We have a free trial that lasts all the way to August 10th. So you can start today, tomorrow, whenever. I mean, why delay? Just start today. But uh, it'll run all the way to August 10th, give you full premium access to all of our in-depth team and recruiting coverage, our exclusive features. Um, I had a great feature interview with a USC staff member uh, recently that will be coming up soon. I have uh, some great stories coming on USC's incoming freshmen. I was out in Georgia to visit Linebacker Garrison Madden. I was in Las Vegas to sit down with Fabian Ross and his family. uh, Zachariah Branch, uh, Zion Branch, (laughs) along with Zachariah Branch and his family. Uh, So we have some great exclusive stuff coming. But the focus, again, is recruiting. And I will be on the road in Texas for a week, two weeks, whatever it takes to get around to all the people that we want to talk to and get you the stories straight from the the source. Um, I'm sure I'll probably be back over in Louisiana to see – Four-star linebacker Tackett Curtis, who we talked to earlier this week. We had a great story about his uh, official visit last weekend uh, where he really made it clear that USC has a very realistic chance to to reel him in. i will probably be up in Oklahoma to see Micah Tease, the cornerback. We're going to be all over. and This is going to be a full-staff approach. The Trojan Sports team is all over the place. Our guy Matt Moreno is in Arizona. He'll try and check in with Deuce Robinson some other guys. Our guy Jeff McCullough is going to be here in California bouncing around. So you're going to want to be on the site seeing all the coverage and stories we have coming. So that promo is, promo code USC22, USC22. And if you go to the homepage at Trojansports.com, there's a massive link in the banner up top. You can just click that link and access it and you're in. Just to reiterate, I mean, this is a true free trial. There's no hidden language. There's no tricks. It's a free trial. You, you get in for free, you are free until August 10th. If you opt to leave before then, you are charged nothing. If you opt to stay, which is our hope, then you are now part of our community, and I think you'll enjoy it. That's the whole point. So anyways, USC 22, free trial until August 10th. Get in and join us. Okay, busy week in Trojan's land. Just working backwards, it was, Salute Troy was Saturday night, kind of in conjunction with this big visitor weekend. Uh, a bunch of former, prestigious former Trojans on campus, Willie McGinnis, Matt Leiner, Lindell White, on and on and on. Uh, it looked like a great event. Media was not allowed there, or else I would have been there covering it for you. I could not be there, but I saw a bunch of pictures and videos on Twitter, and it looked like the... The energy from the fan base for the program is indeed back in full force, which we already knew. But it was good to see that. Also interesting that they timed that weekend to coincide with this massive recruiting weekend with the 24 official visitors. I'm sure that was no coincidence. Uh, what else do we learn? We learned that new receiver Jordan Addison, the Randy Miletnikov winner, is going to wear number three. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing, he's wearing number three. They are unretiring number three. Uh, Carson Palmer gave his blessing to USC Athletic Director Mike Bone uh, to approve the move for Jordan Addison to wear his number three. So that's interesting. In the last couple weeks, we've had Brandon Sosna uh, leave, Mike Bone's right-hand man, the executive senior associate AD slash chief of staff, the guy that Mike Bone called the architect of the Lincoln-Riley hiring, someone who just left an indelible imprint all over this department in two and a half years is moving on to the Detroit lions. I don't think anyone in the fan base was surprised if you've paid attention to Brandon's work, he's a fast rising star in in this business or any business. And it was only a matter of time before somebody uh, came along and, and poached him away for a bigger job. Would not be surprised at all. If he is a college AD in two years somewhere, or if he is uh, NFL general manager down the road nothing would surprise me at all A whole segment a whole show just on kind of uh, His impact here, but basically just I, I don't want to dwell on too long I wrote a story about it the day of I'll just kind of sum it up is if there for the last two and a half years if there was any Issue any problem that came through the USC athletic department It would find its way to Brandon's desk and he would be the guy to find the solution uh, and that includes just some big problems, like the USC football program as a whole. That was kind of his, his main project, so to speak. He, the minute he got here, he went about assessing all the ills and wrongs and lackings within the program and started checking off what they needed and, and getting it done. And it all kind of crescendoed with the, the Lincoln Riley hiring, which, of course, stunned college football. Uh, so we've had Brandon on the show twice. We've talked about him plenty. Um, definitely a massive loss for USC. I'll be very curious to see what they do there because, you know, he had come from Cincinnati with Mike Bone. They had a pre-existing relationship, trust. Um, you can't replace that. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with that role, but certainly wish Brandon Sosna good luck in Detroit. On the heels of that, that is kind of his final parting gift to the program was finally get – USC's NIL plans uh, set up in order. They announced this past week the uh, partnership with Stay Doubted, a uh, company that's going to be a third-party kind of uh, deal uh, with a subsidiary of Boulevard, BLVD, which USC fans might remember kind of came about a couple years ago as it as, uh, was going to be the creative wing of USC Athletics. Uh, Things kind of quieted there for a while. I never quite got an answer as to what was going on. And uh, now it's back. <laughs> Boulevard is back. BLVD, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, it's going to basically offer all USC student-athletes third-party NIL representation, advice, pursue NIL deals to find NIL money to uh, grow the players' value, their, their social media reach, there's going to be a, a, an original content component to it where fans can join subscription tiers and get access to unique USC football content and, and access to the players in certain ways. It seems like a very smart and well thought out venture all around. What it is not is a collective. I think fans know the term collective now. A lot of schools have collectives, which is donors uh, pooling money to throw at Football players, basketball players. Um, There's been a lot of blurring of the lines with those collectives and kind of into the pay-for-play arena, which was what NIL was never supposed to be. But there's been, obviously, no guardrails, no rules, no oversight. The NCAA is trying to belatedly take a look at it, but who knows what's going to happen with that. So those collectives are still running rampant. Uh, USC did not want to go that route. It wanted to go the route of what NIL was supposed to be, which is Caleb Williams getting a lucrative endorsement deal with Beats, stuff like that. So Stay Doubted is the company, Boulevard, BLVD is a subsidiary, and as a domino from all that, USC's director of player personnel, Spencer Harris, who has basically run the recruiting office the last two and a half years, was plucked away to run Boulevard now. Um, so he is no longer officially a USC employee. He's no longer in the recruiting department. He is now running that Boulevard subsidiary of State Doubted and, and kind of taking the lead in, in what is gonna be this uh, this representation arm for USC athletes to maximize their NIL. Uh, Megan Mueller, who's also in the recruiting office, is going over there as a player engagement rep as well. So lots of changes. You know, we're going to dive much deeper into that. I think we might have something coming in the next couple of weeks to offer you a little more perspective on on that end of things and maybe what USC is going to do in the recruiting office. Obviously, Lincoln Riley brought over Annie Hansen, his director of recruiting from Oklahoma, uh, to the same role here. So You had two people with titles that kind of indicated they were in charge of things with Andy Hansen and Spencer Harris. I always wondered how that was going to coexist. Um, I have no idea of if that was a factor in uh, in him moving to this different venture now. But we will get into more of that down the road. Um, that's a quick summation of the news around USC athletics. And we could spend a whole show just tackling those topics one by one by one. But I think much more interesting for our listeners is to go deep into recruiting. Again, USC had 24 official visitors on campus this weekend. We will be working to track down reaction and coverage from all of them. Uh, that's the goal, at least. So be on Trojansports.com often the next few days and see what um, see all the good stories we come up with. But I brought Adam Gorney, our rival's national recruiting director, on the show. We taped this a couple days ago in advance of this weekend, and it wasn't really time-sensitive to this weekend. It's more just, you know, most of these guys aren't going to make decisions uh, today or tomorrow or this week or next week. Uh, I just wanted to get his his take he's talking to people around the country every day he has uh, a ton of national sources that provide interesting intel and i cannot tell you what i think about guys all the time but we like to get him on and get his national perspective on usc's top targets we also dove into the new rivals rankings which came out two weeks ago week and a half ago and several usc commits and top targets made massive surges i wanted to get his perspective on the conversations that went into that and how those came about. So I thought it was a great discussion with Adam. Uh, that's going to be our show. We'll focus just on that, and we'll get going right now. Let's do it. Okay, without further ado, let's bring in Rivals National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney, friend of the show, always drops great insight for our listeners. And we're going to talk about a bunch today. Last week, our latest rivals rankings week, and there was a bunch of movement for some USC prospects. And this weekend is, of course, the Trojans' biggest official visitor weekend of the summer, with just a, a load of, of top prospects coming in. So we'll get to all of that. First of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Definitely good to be here.
0: Let's let's start very topically with Zachariah Branch, and and there's two things I want to ask you about with him. And and then first, let's go to. Just the rankings last week and and he gets the bump from four star to five star i think that uh, anyone who saw him play this spring uh, was not surprised he just really kind of proved that he was a unique offensive weapon out there but what was the discussion among the analysts to to lock him into that five-star status
1: yeah i mean as you saw him through the spring whether it was at a rivals camp or numerous other events he never hides he's always at everything He was just absolutely dominant. One of the most dynamic receivers you're going to see. It's like he plays on a springboard. Um, He's just super, super fast and electric. In any one-on-one setting, he's going to win. I don't care what cornerback is out there. He is just so much faster um, and more dynamic than anybody. The only pause we have is that he's very undersized. Um, And when I say very, he's like 5'8", 165, 170, so he's certainly a small wide receiver Um, but as you look at today's NFL and and not just college football but today's NFL you have some of those guys Hollywood Brown is a guy that I think is a good comparison Um, he said Jalen Waddell now Waddell at the high school level was very similar he's bulked up since then Um, and if you've ever seen Zach, uh, Zach Branch's dad he's a Kind of a big weightlifter guy too so i think he could put on 10 15 more pounds and keep that size so we wanted to move him up to five star status because it just didn't feel right with the spring that he had and just how dominant he is through his junior season uh to keep him as a four-star receiver
0: what about the uh tyreek hill comparison that gets thrown out there a bunch is that is that fair
1: yeah it is and I, i'm i hesitate making those comparisons because you know, we're we're now talking about maybe the best undersized receiver to ever play the game of football and so I don't wanna I don't wanna get completely nuts um with the comparison. Hill is a little bit more jacked up, um and but that dyna, like that that dynamic ability is very similar. Like where, you know, you watch the, the Chiefs last year and, and um you know, Hill takes the ball and kinda turns the corner and it looks like two or three players have an angle on him and they don't get him. And then he makes people miss. And then he turns, uh, you know, a, a bland, you know, catch into a 60-yard touchdown. That's what Zach Branch does on the football field. And so I think that's why USC had targeted him so heavily, obviously wanted his brother, and now they get the, the daily double with Zachariah Branch. And uh, I think that comparison, you know, that's the kind of player he is. That, that guy that can take the ball, make people miss, kind of frustrate defenders think they have him on the ground they don't he escapes from three people chasing him down and and that's kind of who he is as a football player
0: he's now number 14 in our rankings is that the ceiling for him or is there still more room to go I know uh, you were in Las Vegas last weekend for the big uh, OT7 tournament he was not part of that but a lot of top receivers were and and that wide receiver conversation who's at the top of the board, there is one of the fun ones we have in the rankings right now. Kind of your thoughts there on all, all all that right now?
1: Yeah, I'll never I'll never count him out in terms of being able to go higher. You know, the way it works right now is Carnell Tate is number one, Brandon Innes two, um, Hakeem Williams and Zachariah Branch. The thing is, is in terms of like physical, you know, the the best. Physical, the best physically-looking one is Hikeem Williams. Um, yeah. Picture picture Mike Evans. Picture those big, tall Alabama, Texas A&M receivers on the outside. That's Hakeem Williams. Brandon Innes is a guy who doesn't really blow you away physically. He's about six feet tall. He's muscled up a little bit. But what Brand, uh, Brandon Innes does, which is so special, and this is for USC fans too, is he literally just gets open against anybody. He has just this knack to find open spaces and then never, ever drops a pass. He actually did drop one in the end zone at OT7, and I had to do like a triple take to believe <laughs> that it was him who did it because he just never has ever done that in his entire career. And that Carnell Tate is just like that prototypical six one, six two, 6'2", really smooth outside receiver. So all of the five stars are different um, in their own ways, um, which make them special. So, you know, I'm not going to count Branch out, um, you know, a mid-first-round NFL draft pick, someone who really stars at USC, I think, uh, you know, he's in a pretty good spot right now.
0: We'll talk more in this in a bit, and obviously Heikem Williams was a guy that USC fans really wanted to get back on campus for an official visit. It's not going to happen. Um, but sticking with Zach Branch for a minute, there, there was some uh, surprising news this week. It came out that he was going to take an official visit to Texas A&M, and I think every, all USC fans kind of did a what? with that because not only has he been locked in as a usc commit since december january but his brother zion branch is obviously already on campus at usc and i'm gonna i'll turn it over to you in a second but just to kind of let the listeners know about those two and how close they are i sat down with with their family in in las vegas a couple weeks ago and kind of got into their story and and i was just saying you know aside from being brothers the, the obvious stuff what makes you so close and and basically, the story is they've never been apart like more than a day. If Zion Branch was at all-star games around the country, Zach was staying in his room with him that week. They share the room through this year as a high school senior and, and junior, uh, and so they always wanted to play together in college. There was no question they were going to play together in college. And now there's this A and M visit. What's going on with that?
1: Yeah, I actually talked to Zachariah himself, and so um, it's uh, he. This actually started at the Under Armour game. So when Zion Branch was playing in the Under Armour game, Zachariah was with him. They were hanging out together all week. And as Zachariah, you know, as practices were going on and as stuff was going on, Zachariah started talking to some Texas A&M kids, some other kids who had ended up signing in that class. Um, you know, everybody watched in February when they loaded up and had, you know, one of the best classes, if not the best class in, in Rivals history and recruiting history. And so I think it sparked something in him of like, hey, why does everybody love this school so much? What, what am I maybe missing out here? Maybe I want to take a look. And so he's going to visit A&M in, you know, the week after his USC visit. He's also considering a trip to Alabama. The thing he told me was that, like, He had been on visits with his brother, um, but those were visits for his brother. He didn't really – he kind of hung around and kind of saw it, but he didn't really get the full recruiting experience. I would be absolutely stunned if he doesn't stay in USC's recruiting class just because of all those factors. I mean, he and Zion are so close. When Zion committed to USC, it was almost like a a commitment from Zachariah as well that ended up being – the, what happened? The family is super close. Playing in Lincoln Riley's offense is probably the best situation for his skill set. I, I think all of those things combined um, factor into this. You know, the the flight—I I did it last week. The flight from Vegas to LA is under forty minutes, so like the family could get there very quickly for games. I would be very surprised if this visit trickled into a decommitment and a flip to Texas A&M or Alabama, um, but it's certainly something to watch. It's certainly something to see what's going on. Um, I don't know if it's a play for a future NIL deal, which has to now be a factor in as we think of recruiting, right. but, but I, think, I think Zachariah Branch, after he visits these schools, uh, will certainly be interested. It's hard not to be interested in those programs. Um, but but will not flip and will stick with USC.
0: Well, I was trying to ex- extinguish flames on the message board yesterday about that, so, <laughs> so hopefully your comments are, are reassuring to our audience there a little bit. Um, let's get back to the rankings. There was a few more guys I wanted to cover with you, and, and again, the rankings came out last week, latest update, and one of the biggest risers overall nationally was USC running back commit Quentin Joyner at Texas Jumps 80 spots, number 115, what was the the discussion among the analysts about him?
1: Yeah, that was um, that was definitely one of the bigger ones. We're still trying to figure out how to how to look at the running back position overall. We still don't have a five star in the class. Reuben Owens is under consideration. Justice Haynes is under consideration. But you know NFL teams don't take first-round uh, running backs much anymore, so that's also in, in a, into consideration. Quentin Joyner is one of those guys that Nick Harris, our Texas analyst, had seen, really loved his body frame. You know he's a you know kind of a just under six feet, I think, stout kid, strong runner, looks great. Um, you know, and, and as everybody talks about Lincoln Riley's offense, they talk about the passing game and the quick passes and the, and the deep shots and stuff. But he ran the ball a lot at Oklahoma. I mean, they, they did run the ball. Uh, they used two backs at times, um, you know, it, you know, interchanging them. And so I think uh, he's, a, he's a very skilled kid who hadn't been at a ton of events, so we didn't get a good look at him. Once Nick did, he really, really liked him. And felt that a big bump was definitely necessary
0: there was one takeaway from spring practice it was that that Riley himself was uh consistent and adamant making the point that they are going to be a balanced offense and want to run the ball and it, it, he, he even threw out stats and said you know if you look at the last five years we had the top yards per carry in the in the big 12 and it, it's it was one of the few moments where he actually kind of pointed to his own resume in a way so i think he made that point clear they are going to run the ball they got two commitments from texas uh in the span of a week with quentin joiner and uh, marion peterson that kind of flew under the radar for usc fans because they weren't guys that were ranked all that high at the time so uh, i think the, the c joiner jumped that much was a an eye opener and uh definitely maybe changes the perception of that running back class to bring it in uh, the last guy I want to ask about, rankings wise or, or the next guy is uh, Christian Pierce. Safety, he was a three-star guy when he committed to USC. I know they really liked him. He, he was he was kind of the top of their board of that position, one of the, the, the few West Coast defensive backs they really prioritized. He's now a four-star. What went into the, the reevaluation of him to, to give him that bump from three to four-star?
1: Yeah, leading up to his commitment, I stopped by his school for a video interview he's uh, and 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 it immediately jumps out to you just his length and and how he looks as an athlete so um you know i was talking to a bunch of people in southern california and it was you know you gotta look at this kid he's very talented you know i hesitate sometimes on the guys not hesitate but definitely give a second look on the guys who aren't playing at the elite programs just because you you have to consider, um, you know, competition level, who he's playing against, which quarterbacks he's picking off. You know, th- those kinds of things definitely play a factor in that. If if Rancho Cucamonga went and played against Bosco or Servite or Modern Day, what would the score look like, and what would Christian Pierce look like on that field? So, all of those things kind of have to factor into your evaluation of it. But after seeing him and then kind of seeing his you know he, he's kind of like a bouncy athlete as a safety kind of covers a lot of ground he's he's kind of one of those guys that picks off a pass and has one hand you know has one hand on the ball and is running down the field just very athletic and smooth and so i felt like you know i've seen enough of this kid now i've seen him in person now i think he deserves a bump he's he's not like a high level four star right now that could certainly change as i see him into his senior year but giving him a bump to that fourth star definitely made sense to me the,
0: there is one last uh, rankings matter I want to get into with you, and, and you wrote about this week. Again, that OT7 tournament in Vegas was a nice showcase of a lot of the top guys in the country, had a lot of the top quarterbacks, and that quarterback debate rages on who's who's the best quarterback in this class. Obviously, USC has Malachi Nelson locked up. let kind of talk about Nelson's own evolution in these rankings and, and, and maybe his standing right now in, in your eyes and, and what it would take to get him to that top spot before the end of this year is over
1: yeah it's this is like this is like a no lose and a no win situation <laughs> because um you know Arch Manning doesn't do many events we all know that he threw in Baton Rouge last week, looked solid but not overly spectacular that continues to be a question of whether that's arch or his team isn't all that great um. We'll see. I mean, that's that's just going to be a factor. Um, I thought I thought Nelson was very very good at OT seven. Other than the game when he played against Nico, um, Nico was definitely better in that game. Clearly won it. Nelson was struggling. Um, just wasn't in rhythm like like you've seen him before. And I think uh, that's sort of the blessing and the curse with Malachi Nelson is that when he's in rhythm, when things are going well, when when, you know, when when the offense is moving and he's moving it, he is maybe the best quarterback in the country. When things are not going well, when he's struggling a little bit, he does, like, the, the struggle continues. And so that's something that I've seen during the season. You know, the, the, the great thing about Nelson is, you know, it'll be an eight-yard gain, a five-yard gain, an eight-yard gain. Boom, 60-yard touchdown. Like, that's how he plays, you know? And then, but when he throws a pick, he comes back out. It's three and out, three and out, pick, you know? And so that's a little concerning in terms of that stuff. Um, Dante Moore was phenomenal all weekend. He's not flashy at all. He's just all substance. Um, He just goes out and delivers the ball exactly where it should be at all times. In some ways, he kind of reminds me of Julian Sain in the 24 class where you're not blown away physically. Uh, he doesn't say a word out there. He just kind of goes out and picks people apart. So those are the four or five-star quarterbacks we have right now. Um, you know, every – like there are so many people I talk to in California that are like, you know, Malachi's the best, Malachi's the best, Malachi's the best. I don't know if that's politicking. I don't know what that is, but – I would honestly say that over the spring, whether it was at the rivals camp in LA or OT seven, um, Nico has been a little bit more impressive. Um, how that translates on the field is still debatable. But you know, Malachi Nelson is definitely a five-star quarterback, a very, very talented player. And I'd say if there's one quarterback, you know, if Arch goes to Texas or Georgia, which it looks like it's going to be. Nico goes to Tennessee and Dante Moore goes to either Michigan or LSU. It looks like I would still say that Malachi Nelson is putting himself in the best position, you know, to play to his strengths. You know, Lincoln Riley has had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams and all of those guys, you know, betting on Malachi Nelson as being the next big time guy there that can really produce in Lincoln Riley's offense would be a very good bet. So certainly not a finished product and there are definitely questions that still remain but there's no doubt in my mind that he's a very very talented
0: player good stuff uh last thought on that and this comes up all the time and i have not seen arch manning play you have so i'm going to totally defer to you on this and i'm just throwing the prompt out there because i hear it all the time fans say if, if his last name was not manning he wouldn't be in that conversation what's the response to that when
1: you hear that yeah, I mean it's certainly oh, like a worthwhile debate, but I would say his last name is Manning. <laughs> so <laughs> what com- what comes with that is that um, he is the by far the most prepared uh, quarterback that could possibly be. I mean, literally, his grandfather is Archie Manning. His his uncles are two of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and Peyton is top what, three, four, ever to play the game. (laughs) So, um, you know, and Peyton and Eli aren't, like, day-to-day involved with Arch, um, but, you know, that rubs off. Just seeing, you know, sitting at Hall of Fame things, sitting, being just, like, so mature for the position, understanding and studying game tape, all of that stuff just certainly helps it's it's almost like saying well you know tom brady's kid isn't the the greatest quarterback ever but he's still tom brady's kid he's he's entering this not as just a kid from los alamitos or from long beach or from detroit he's entering this with like some of the greatest knowledge and grasp of the position to maybe ever do it so is arch manning the greatest athlete at quarterback no could he throw it the furthest like Dylan Rayola did at, at the Clarkson at 72 yards. No, but you want to, you want to bet against him? I, I don't, you know? So, so, you know, if his name was Arch Smith, would he be the number one quarterback? And he didn't have that history behind him. Um, is he by far the most talented player without question? No, but he's still incredibly talented. You know, he's still doing that thing, but I do understand the other side of that argument. I do I do wish he would go to events nationally and there could be an apples to apples comparison. But I also understand why he doesn't. I mean, if he goes there and, and is perfect, then, well, he's the number one player in the country and he's Arch Manning, so, you know, that was expected. And if one ball sails, well, then he sucks, you know? I mean, that's just the nature of of how people think about it. So yeah I understand his position. Um, you know I think if it, I think if it was completely up to him and from talking to people sort of around him, if it was completely up to him, he would do some events. He would do elite eleven. But it's not completely up to him. and i and I understand that protectionism a little bit, too, of you know, there's really no reason for him to do it. He doesn't have to prove anything. There are so many like sides to this that it's that it's definitely an interesting story. Does he absolutely stay number one in this class? No, absolutely not. But, you know, I've, I've also said this sort of off the record, and I'll say it on the record here now. If he's number one and does really well, then we look smart. And if he's number one and he does not as well, well, then betting on uh, Arch Manning was not the worst bet we've ever made. You know, so, so that's kind of how we look at it now. Do I wish Arch Manning, Malachi Nelson, Nico Iamaleava, Dante Moore, Chris Vizina, Jaden Rashada, all those guys could go all on the same field and 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 throw and we could see who's best? Absolutely. But even still our ranking is a projection for college and the NFL draft. And if you're telling me that NFL if you're telling me NFL GMs are not gonna look at Arch Manning and go, We're gonna take him regardless, then I think you're fooling yourself too.
0: I think it's a very fair response, and uh, yeah. I appreciate the depth of your answer there. I, I think it's, it's hard to argue with what you said. While we're on the quarterbacks, one last topic there, and this is a, a 2024 conversation. USC has kind of uh, honed in on its 2024 target. It's DJ Lagway from Texas. It's, it's still very early with him, but they've basically told him, you're our guy until you commit, either to us or to someone else. Where do you size up his recruitment right now and, and USC's chances with him?
1: Yeah. I, w- I would guess right now, if he had to commit, he would go to Texas A&M. I, um, you know, he's from Willis, Texas. When I talked to him, uh, at the Steve Clarkson quarterback retreat, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a quieter kid. I don't want to say country cause that kind of comes off in a, with a negative connotation, but certainly, um, kind of a, you know, just a quieter, more relaxed laid back type personality. Um, great looking kid, though. I mean, he, if there's like a comp to Cam Newton, I think it would be him in the 24 class. Big, strong, tall. Uh, still throws it. A, he's a baseball player too, so he still throws it a little basebally. Um, but I think that can get worked out of him as he as he gets back into the football season. But I would say Texas A&M, Oklahoma look probably strongest right now. But again. Um, he's very well-versed in Lincoln Riley from his time at Oklahoma, and he knows he's going to throw the ball a lot if he comes to USC. So it will be interesting to see it in a couple months if that trip out to California really sparked some serious interest. Um, but right now I'd say he stays local. Good deal, good deal. Well, as I –
0: teased at the top of the show and went in depth with this is USC's big recruiting weekend. They wanted to get all their official visitors on the same weekend. That's kind of how Lincoln Riley did things at Oklahoma. They used to have, I guess they call it their big barbecue weekend uh, in Norman, and that's the approach he likes to do. Uh, They couldn't get everyone this weekend. They had four guys come in last weekend, and uh, of those four, they got two commits, three-star offensive tackle Tobias Raymond and three-star defensive end Grant Bucky. The big name on that list, though, was top 100 four-star linebacker Tackett Curtis, uh, who was one of their absolute priority targets, one of their more interesting recruiting battles. I talked to Curtis about his visit, and, I mean, he certainly gave every impression that USC has a very legitimate chance to reign him in. At the end of our conversation, after he just kind of went on glowingly about the visit, about his connection to the staff, about how they've been recruiting him for two and a half years, and his relationship with linebackers coach Brian Odom and just how that visit just hit every mark I said so just kind of give me the picture then where they sit in your recruitment and he said in a very very good spot they're in the best spot they could possibly be in and it's hard not to hear that comment and think this could happen for USC now he goes to Ohio State this week and I guess he could feel the exact same way about Ohio State after that trip what is your take on Tackett Curtis right now and where things stand?
1: Yeah, I was convinced just a few weeks ago that he was, like, basically a lock to Ohio State. Um, he and Jim Knowles have really gotten to know each other very, very well. He likes Knowles. He They've talked about kind of building the defense around him, using him outside, inside, all kinds of things. But I will certainly say now that after that USC visit, that they're clearly in this, if not the team to beat, because it, was, it wasn't even – just the football stuff um, that really stood out. He sat with the strength and conditioning staff for a long time, the nutrition staff for a long time. The things that, you know, like big bulky linebackers care about is is what really, really stuck out to him um, about the visit. And I think USC is certainly in it. He really likes Lincoln Riley. He really likes Alex Grinch. Um, you know that that USC linebacker tradition still stands out, and I think USC is is, is, is if not one A one B right there with Ohio State. I think Wisconsin is trailed off, so this is a two team race. The visit to Ohio State will be important, um, but I really definitely think USC um, is in it. If he if he picks Ohio State, I won't be surprised. But but now if he picks USC, I wouldn't be surprised either.
0: I'll get into some of the names from this weekend coming, but uh, since we're – you know, we just saw him last weekend again. Brandon Ennis was out in Vegas. Uh, obviously, you know, another guy's top of the board for USC. He's not coming out on a visit until the fall. He wanted to come out for a game, bring his family out for a game day weekend and get that experience. But there's a lot of buzz for Ohio State. I, I know he's he, – he, the Southern schools are involved. Right now, what is your best guess on Brandon Ennis and where he ends up?
1: So – what I've sort of come to understand is that if this decision was only Brandon Innes's, he would go to USC. He loves Lincoln Riley. He's already been committed to him. He loves L.A. He loves the vibe, the whole thing. His mother is from Baltimore, and um, I, think, I think the family is still having a sort of difficult time wrapping their head around having their son so far away from home. So by no means is Ohio state, like a second place option here. Brandon has loved the relationship he has with Brian Hartline. He's super impressed with them putting two receivers right in the first round. There are more receivers, you know, there's talk that the receiver group, even after losing uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, will be better this year. um, What's, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison and the guys and you know all the guys they brought in over the years with CJ Stroud even a year more seasoned and I think Brandon Innes is certainly interested in that playing with Carnell Tate if Carnell Tate picks Ohio State it will be even more of a draw they play on the same South Florida Express team so USC you know playing playing for Lincoln Riley and playing at USC and being in LA is definitely a huge draw for Brandon Innes. Everything else is pointing to Ohio State, and that's why I have to think he goes to Ohio State.
0: Yeah. If he had, if Lincoln Riley had stayed at Oklahoma, would the distance have been the same kind of factor in that conversation where he was committed there for a while?
1: It is interesting. I mean, um, you know, he did commit to Oklahoma. He committed kind of a spur-of-the-moment kind of thing, and it would have been interesting to see if he stayed committed there. Um you know, from Miami to Oklahoma is not down the road. So, you know, if you're on the plane for another two hours or whatever, what does it really matter? But it does seem like Ohio State never really gave up on him. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to know. I think, it prob- I think he probably would have stuck with Oklahoma, but Ohio State would have always been there in his recruitment.
0: Well, let's get to some guys who are coming this weekend. And uh, I guess maybe the most important for USC – offensive lineman Francis Maui Goa, who's at IMG Academy now, obviously started his high school time out here on the West Coast. The Trojans just aren't involved with many top-end offensive linemen, and it's it's a uh, source of much uh, apprehension and, and concern for fans. And if they were to get a guy like Maui Goa, that you know, assuages a lot of those concerns. But uh, it still feels like there's a lot of work to do there, maybe not a long shot, but, but not a favorite at this point have you size up uh, his recruitment
1: yeah it's it's very interesting because he is originally from american samoa he played at, at san bernardino aquinas for i believe a year um or two he was definitely there and I, I know for sure that they were fighting to keep him on the west coast but you know the pull of img was just too much He he couldn't turn that down but even even when he got to IMG, um, I had been sort of hearing that uh, his family wanted him back on the West Coast. So when they came from Samoa, they could. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't a cross ocean and then a cross country trip to see him play. And so you know they can get to LA. There are flights. It's much more convenient than trying to fly to Knoxville or Gainesville or wherever else from there. That, that talk has sort of died down over the last six months or so, especially as these SEC teams have started to really come in. I've been hearing so much Tennessee on Maui Goa now that I would be surprised if he didn't end up there. Um, but I do think the longer this goes, the, the possibility of him returning to the West Coast is still in the cards. So I wouldn't count out USC by any means. But I do get the sense that he probably wants to stay in the SEC. And there's been some sort of conversation that that will be his best route to the NFL. And um, whether that's true or not, I think that's the feeling that the family and the people have now. And so I, I would say Tennessee
0: and then a distant second would be USC. I feel we have this debate on the message board once a week, or not even debate, just kind of a venting session about about the O-line recruiting situation. And I, and I always bring up the point that there just aren't many West Coast guys of that caliber. And if you look through our rankings, I th- I think there were maybe three, uh, three guys in our top 50 who are from the West Coast this class. It's kind of the same next class. Uh, what is your just... Understanding of, of why that is and, and and why it's so barren in terms of five and four star offensive linemen out west.
1: I mean, it's really incredible, and it and it really is um, a, a struggle. Like as much as as much as you want to say, oh, Pac-12 football is fun to watch because they're throwing it all around and they're scoring points and this and that. You you definitely see that line play is is super lacking. Um, it's almost like a comparison to like speedy athletes in the Midwest. When you, when you go to the Midwest, when you go to rivals camps in the Midwest or any event, uh, you just don't see the level of athleticism that you see in California. And so I think it's like that in reverse. When you go to a lineman camp in California or you see a a rivals event in California, there just aren't that level of offensive linemen that come from, from the region. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm in Atlanta now we will see massive NFL looking dudes here <laughs> this weekend. Like when you go to the, when you go to the rivals camps in Dallas and, and Atlanta and Miami, you see grown men like uh, on the offensive line, you don't see any players like that in California. I mean, maybe once every other year, there's a Wyatt Davis or a Kayvon Thibodeau, and, and those are like freaks of nature that we never see out there. Every single year there are guys like that in the southeast, and I definitely think that correlates to their success that they've had um, and, and sort of like recruiting philosophies at Alabama and Georgia that they're going to stay local for their linemen, they're going to go to California for their quarterbacks, and they're going to go, you know – somewhere in the South, whether it's Southern California or the, or the Southeast United States for their skill players. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's all that strange that, um, you know, Bryce Young was recruited incredibly heavily by, um, Alabama that CJ Stroud was recruited incredibly heavily by Ohio state that Georgia is going after guys that they just got Rayola at Ohio state again. And so, there's just not the amount of offensive linemen in the West now. How does Lincoln Riley deal with that? Um, some of it, I think, will be scheme. That if you get the ball out fast enough, the defensive linemen can't sack your quarterback. But I continue to point to this, and it's starting to be an aged, like an aged reference, but it's still true. When when USC played Alabama and Sam Darnold was back there, he was just getting absolutely murdered by that defensive line. And it's because USC just cannot keep up. Um, you know, when when Pete Carroll had it really rolling, he would go nationally for linemen. I think that's the only way to do it. If, if We're not talking about Pac-12 championships. We're talking about national championships now at USC again. And I think you have to go national for linemen. Yeah, they're going to
0: have to. And I think, you know, USC fans are – College football fans know that you know Lincoln Riley was in the playoffs uh, those several years, but but they were they were one and done. They were out early, and and they had all the skilled talent in the world, uh, and they had some offensive line talent too. They had, had more O line talent than USC is going to have in the next couple years. So does that really cap their upside and what they can do? And you know he even came out last week and said that in an interview that going into those playoff appearances, we knew we were the third or fourth most talented team in those fields, and he thinks that USC gives him a higher ceiling to maybe have the the most talented team or or one of the top talented teams and make a real run at it, but it's going to come down to those linemen. And there's a lot of scrutiny on on Josh Henson, the O-line coach, who did a great job at A&M. I mean, they racked up four- and five-star guys every year, but he was keeping the in-state guys in Texas, and he was also part of that A&M recruiting machine, and now he's out here not on his own, but but in a different different ecosystem, and, and having to, to to see if he can pull those Texas guys out west. So we'll see what happens there.
1: It is uh, it, it's it's much like everything in coaching. I mean, the brilliant coaches are the ones with the best players on the field. I mean, that's just yeah. you know if, if I'm if I could shop at Maserati and Porsche and Lamborghini, my car is going to look better than if I had to shop at Ford. You know, I mean, it's just the way it goes, and that's the same way in coaching. I mean, Nick Saban is a brilliant guy, but he's also a brilliant guy because he has the best players on the field. So, you know, you can see that in any sport at any time. When the San Antonio Spurs were winning NBA championships, it was because they had Tim Duncan and, and Mano Ginobili and Tony Parker, and, and, you know, I mean, it's just just that way. So, if you if if you can't, you know, a coach told me once, like, it's all about, like, the, the mall you shop in, like, what stores you shop in, like, if you can get the best players, if you can get them, then, then, then that's great. But if they don't live near you and you have to go nationally for it, it makes it a lot more difficult, especially at a school in years previous when guys like Damian Mama kind of fizzled out and then ran poorly at the combine. People see that. They, they, that. Until they're sold that there's offensive line development at USC, I think it's still going to be a struggle.
0: All right. Well, yeah, I, I could ask you about the hundred guys uh, here. It's it's you know interest in USC recruiting is is back uh, at its apex with Lincoln Riley, and we could discuss it all day. But as you said, you are in Atlanta. You have things to do. Let's go over a few last guys who uh, who are on the radars or coming this weekend, and uh, get your take. USC is in the mix for two of the top tight ends in the country, and Deuce Robinson and Walker Lyons. And I I think that uh, the sense coming into this weekend where both will be on campus is that they might be the leader for Deuce Robinson, Uh, maybe not so for Walker Lyons. You had a nice story on Deuce last week and and his family, kind of his background. Kind of uh, share what you learned about him and how you feel about where things stand with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about just like one of the nicest kids and families to ever know, I mean, those are the Robinsons. Dominic Robinson played football at Florida State. His mom, Mary Beth, swam at Florida. Um, Deuce is also like an elite baseball player. And I was trying to get into exactly like how elite. And it seemed like, you know, he will be drafted by the major leagues. And then we'll have to figure out what his future looks like. But in terms of a football player, he's, he's down to USC, Texas, Alabama, and Georgia. And I would give USC the big edge there. He's six five. He looks like OJ Howard. Incredibly smooth. Can split out and kind of stay in and block when needed. Um, but one of those big, tar- you know, big targets that you know Lincoln has used over the years—the Mark Andrews types—but way more athletic. I think is exactly uh, who Deuce Robinson is. Uh, will be very, very liked um, by the fan base. and and is definitely one of the best-looking players in the class. Walker Lyons is a little bit more of an enigma. Um, I think Stanford is in a very good spot with him, but but so is sort of Utah, maybe BYU. Um, He is Mormon, but doesn't seem to be, like, making that a huge part of his recruitment, although it is definitely something he's considering. I also think he's looking to see what Deuce Robinson is going to do because – I, I would find it hard to believe that he would want to go to the same school. Yeah. Um, so so right now I think Walker-Lyons goes to Stanford, Deuce-Robinson goes to USC. And while I still like Walker-Lyons very, very much, um, I think that is definitely a win for USC. I,
0: I thought the most interesting takeaway from your Robinson piece was the baseball aspect and kind of – Adds a different wrinkle in for fans who are thinking that is just in the recruiting battle. Well, they're also in a battle to see uh, what sport he plays, and we'll be tracking that this summer, too. Another visitor this weekend, a four-star DN, Mateo Uwe Aguilale. Uh That's the best I'm ever going to do, so we're going to go with that take. Uh, you know, he's been to USC so many times already. The the, the reasons why the Trojans make sense are are, are many. Uh, we've talked about his, his musical interest and wants to be a music producer and being in LA is obviously more advantageous to that than being anywhere else at this point where you size up Mateo's recruitment and do you think it drags out into the very end or do you think we kind of get a clear sense at some point where he's going?
1: Yeah, I think it drags on for a little longer. Um, From what I've heard, Ohio state went incredibly well and there is now a tremendous amount of interest In going there, Um, I had heard, this was a rumor I had heard over a year ago, that if he wasn't going to Clemson, that DJ wanted him at Ohio State. DJ wanted him at Ohio State because he felt that that was the best place for him to get developed as, you know, a defensive end, tight end, hybrid. Um, And so I think that is definitely something interesting to consider. But he is... I I mean, the music thing is not just a hobby for him. I mean, he's very involved in this. It's something that, um, you know, he's already doing at almost a professional level. And that is going to have to be a draw for him. That's going to have to be a draw when he looks at the whole thing and and what's going on. So I definitely think that... uh, that, that USC is going to be in this till the end, is really going to fight for him, is really going to battle and that piece of it is going to be important. Um, we've already seen within the family that they're willing to leave to go play in college so I don't think that's going to hold back Mateo, but when he looks at his life like past football, if that's even possible for a teenager to do, um, I think USC is going to be very, very appealing to him
0: two last guys we talked about uh the brandon in situation but there's another top receiver coming out this weekend and jalen hale out of texas he's a guy that usc fans don't know a whole lot about and i talked to nick harris our texas recruiting analyst last week and and he said that's that's a hard one to read uh do you have any any pulse on jalen hale's recruitment and if this is just a visit and take a look at things or if he's seriously interested in usc
1: yeah, I think what's weird about Hale is that he's um, still sort of mulling a lot. You know, like LSU was there for a while, but LSU seems out. Then Georgia seems like it's really picked up with him. Um, A&M, you know, the, you know, A&M seems like a school that he would definitely go to. He's an in-state kid, um, but Texas is there, USC is there. There's been a lot of like back and forth with which schools he really likes, which he doesn't. I think that's going to come down to visits. I, I would be surprised if he ended up at USC right now just because of the influence of Georgia nationally and then the influence of staying in state. But he's really a tough kid to read. It's hard to know what he's really thinking. So, I mean, USC has as good a chance as as most schools
0: good deal and we'll close with one last top 100 guy one last texas guy braylon shelby the outside linebacker who uh, also made a nice jump in the rankings this last uh update and is a guy that the trojans have felt very good about for a while first of all just kind of give us your breakdown of braylon shelby as a a prospect and and what puts him in that top 100 and then how you feel about usc's chances
1: yeah you know shelby's another kid from texas and you know you can't go wrong recruiting that state, especially as they bring that a you know, little bit of a dog factor to, to, to the Pac-12. In terms of some of the best-looking kids in the entire class, like when they walk in a room, you're like, wow, this is maybe maybe one of the best, uh, among, the, among the best for sure. 6'5", 235, probably plays at 245, athletic, edge rusher, can drop in coverage, can blitz, can get after people has that mentality that he's going to be in, in attack mode, kind of hungry dog kind of, kind of guy. Um, and so that's what really made us move him up and probably might not be done moving up. So um, I think Texas is definitely there. I definitely think they want him. He's a top target. But USC is probably sitting in that second position. So you get him on campus, you give him the L.A feel all of those kinds of things. And again, you know, Lincoln Riley has recruited those areas there. He's very well known with Texas kids. So all of that too is certainly playing a factor. Um, So I would say uh, top two, top three in that range. And then once you start really getting, getting him more involved in the recruiting process becomes maybe an even bigger target.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's tie a bow on it all with a impossible question uh, to, leave you with what do you think is usc's ceiling potential by the end of this recruiting cycle
1: it's it's really just hard to know i mean almost impossible to say um we do know that some of the teams you know they're sitting eighth right now Um, but they only have nine commits which is um sort of a very good position to be in because if, if, if rankings were only based on the average star ranking of a class, they'd be tied for number one in the class with Notre Dame. But, you know, we know Texas Tech is going to fall down. They're already at 20 commits, and so the way our computer sort of calculates it, that gives them a bonus right now, but they'll trickle off. Cincinnati will trickle out. Northwestern will trickle out. Clemson could pro- possibly stay. Um, their average star ranking is high. Ohio State star ranking is high. Penn State might fall a little bit. Top five is not out of the question, but we do know, you know, by historical trends, Alabama will move up when they start loading up. Georgia will start moving up. Texas A and M will start moving up. So, you know, we're sitting here in June talking about a class that won't be calculated until it's at first run December, but finally until February, and we all know in recruiting that's like you know four million years away so uh top five within the top 10 i don't think is absolutely not out of the question
0: adam thank you for all your time in the middle of a busy week but then again they're all busy weeks for you we do appreciate it all right Ryan, anytime. and that is our show thank you again to adam gorney for coming on giving us all that time and great insight and Thank you all for listening. Remember, if you are not subscribed to Trojansports.com, you can be very easily with our free trial. It lasts all the way until August 10th. The deadline to sign up is much sooner. I don't even know what that is. It's coming up this week, I think. So act fast. But once you do, you are in until August 10th. Full premium access to all of our exclusive content, our Trojans Talk message board. Get in, get on, join us. at. USC 22 is the promo code. USC 22 is the promo code. And there's a link at the top of the homepage, TrojanSports.com, to easily access it. With that, I will continue on my way on the road to Texas to track down recruiting coverage for you guys. Stay tuned.